0: The story of Hanukkah took place in around about 166 B.C. Uh, give or take a few years because time frames are always a little confusing. Uh, but the story actually, as it relates to prophecy, there's a lot of prophecy involved in the story of Hanukkah. And it goes back before that. I'm going to go back to a fellow you may have heard of named Alexander the Great. Everybody familiar with him? Yeah, rode a big horse, cut the Gordian knot, taught Greek to everybody. He spread Hellenic society throughout the known world at the time. Uh, In Hanukkah, often we talk about how evil the Hellenists were. You know, spreading Hellenic society was not a bad thing. If he hadn't done that. How would the word of God have spread beyond that little nation of Israel? There needed to be a way for the entire world to hear the word in a language they could all understand. And Alexander the Great did that. He uh, commissioned the Septuagint to be written. That's the version of the Bible that that the writers of the New Testament quoted. Now on his way down to conquer Egypt Alexander stopped by Jerusalem because it's on the way and according to legend he met the high priest there and the high priest came out and met him because the high priest didn't want the Jewish society to be destroyed in the face of Alexander. But according to legend Alexander met the high priest and told him that he had had a vision (coughs) of the the God of that priest. And so he was going to leave Israel, leave Judea to worship and to govern themselves. And he bowed down to the priest. Reality, that's not probably a very likely scenario. There is no record anywhere outside of Jewish religious writing that Alexander bowed down to anybody ever. But... There are some facts we do know that he was impressed by Jewish society. Compared to every other country around there, they had the highest rates of literacy, study. Uh, Their legal system was more fair and better augmented than any other country around them. And so he saw this is a a society worth keeping. It's not worth throwing away. So he allowed them to keep much of their society. Uh, he allowed them to keep their temple and not destroy it. That actually wasn't all that unusual because you know he allowed most of the people he conquered to keep their temples as long as they also recognized the Greek gods, because happy people are easier to to conquer. And the high priest showed Alexander a scroll. The scroll contained the Book of Daniel. Specifically, showed him verses eight, twenty-one through twenty-two. I'm going to read from the King James because it's my favorite English. It's the story of the prophecy of the various... uh, It's a vision of the various kingdoms that would conquer Israel. And the rough goat is the king of Greece. And the great horn that is between his eyes is the first king. Now that being broken, whereas four stood up for it, four kingdoms shall stand up out of the nation, but not in his power. Now again... I kind of discount that part of the legend a little bit because if you read that passage, it's mostly about how the king of Greece is going to be conquered to break down, die, and have his kingdom go away. I don't see the high priest bringing that to Alexander's attention. Now, eventually, of course, Alexander did uh, die at 32 years old, very young. And just like Daniel predicted his four major generals each started carving up his empire for themselves. They each began, began a dynasty in different areas. And the two that we're interested in are the ones, the uh, Seleucid, who was in what's in modern-day Syria, and Ptolemy, who was in modern, well, in Egypt. Still modern-day Egypt. It's still in the same place. It hasn't moved. Uh, now, after various wars back and forth, and you can see why the Ptolemies and the Seleucids, if they're fighting each other, you know, Syria's up here, Egypt's down here, and in the middle is Israel. So Israel got to be the battleground for the Ptolemies and the Seleucids to fight back and forth over each other for a long time. They each wanted to control the trade routes that went through there, and they each wanted a buffer between them and their enemy. And after various wars, the Ptolemies and the Seleucids settled on to various fighting with each other, and eventually, at one point, the Seleucids were in power over Israel, and that's where we get to the story of Hanukkah. The fourth king, Antiochus. Antiochus IV was born in 215 B.C., ruled from 175 to 164 B.C. He took upon himself the name Antiochus Theos Epiphanes, which means Antiochus, manifest God. Uh, I'm sure you've heard before that the people tend to call him Antiochus Epimenes instead, which means Antiochus the crazy guy. Now between Alexander and, Antio- and Antiochus IV, we're looking at about, oh, 150, 200 years. During that time, Hellenic society took, took deep root in Israel. These educated people looked at the the philosophers of Greece and said, well, they've got medicine. They've got philosophy. They've got mathematics that's much better than ours. And so they started studying Greek society more than Jewish society. And you ended up with a split demographic in Israel. You had the Hellenists and the traditionalists. The Hellenists and the Jews, as we often, but the, the Hellenists were Jews, too. But it's a little confusing.
1: Anyway, Antiochus
0: has to consolidate his power. He has to choose one side or the other to support. Alexander supported the Jews as long as they acknowledged that the Hellenists were important too. Antiochus moved a little farther to the other side. He said, well, the Hellenists are the way it needs to be. And so he actually forbade Jewish practice. He forbade Jewish worship in the temple. He forbade the study of the Torah. He forbade the Jews to circumcise their children and keep the commandments. Uh, all techniques you'll recognize again at the Inquisition a thousand years later. Or at the pogroms. These are typical tools of the enemy to make the Jews not be Jews anymore. Anyway, we come up to Hanukkah in scripture. Norm already read for us one of the... Oh, no, you you didn't actually read the one I was thinking of. John 10.22. We're all familiar with the idea that that's that's where Hanukkah is mentioned in Scripture. It's not even in the Hebrew Bible. But in John 10.22 is the the Feast of Dedication is mentioned. There are, however, some prophecies in Daniel that seem to relate to Hanukkah. Let's see here. And I'm, I'm... to save time, I'm just going to mention a couple of them and, and read one. Uh, in Daniel 9.27, we have a mention of the abomination of desolation, uh, which is what the, Mac- the book of First Maccabees calls the abomination of desolation when Antiochus set up a sacrifice to Zeus in the temple and defiled the temple for the worship of God. Uh, basically, Set up a statue of Zeus in the temple and worshipped and sacrificed a pig on the altar. Uh, in Daniel 11:31, it also mentions the abomination of desolation and says, "See here, they shall profane the sanctuary, even the fortress, and shall take away the continual burnt offering." It's exactly what happened when Antiochus did that. The prophecy I want to look at here is specifically in, in verse 11, though. And from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away and the abomination that maketh death's desolate set up, there shall be a thousand two hundred and ninety days. That's the crux of whether or not Daniel is talking about Hanukkah or not. You have to get in some apocryphal scripture to to find out what we're talking, what I'm talking about here, because uh, has anyone read the book of First Maccabees? Okay, some of you, Okay. Scholars recognize 1 Maccabees as a pretty good historical book. They recognize that what it says happened actually took place. Um, one of the things you won't find in there is the miracle of the oil. It, nobody mentioned that until a couple hundred years later. Uh, but 1 uh, Maccabees is considered to be a fairly historical book. Even people who don't believe the Bible is true will recognize its historical aspects. 2 uh, Maccabees, on the other hand, is sort of a hodgepodge of weird stuff that uh, mysticists put together. Uh, I wouldn't even bother reading it. <laughs> it's amusing, but you won't get much out of it. Anyway, in First Maccabees chapter 1, it says, In the 15th day of the month of Kislev, in the 145th year, they set up the abomination of desolation upon the altar and built idols throughout the cities of Judah on every side. Skip ahead to First Maccabees 6-7. Uh, we're getting now to the end of the war. Also that they had pulled down the abomination which he had set up on the altar in Jerusalem and that they had encompassed about the sanctuary with high walls and before in his city of Beshura. See on the chapter 4. On the 5 and 20th day of the ninth month which is called the month of Kislev in the 148th year they rose up the time of the morning and offered sacrifice according to the law upon the new altar of burnt offerings which they had made. So from the 15th of Kislev in 165th year, to the 25th of Kislev, on the 168th year, is the time the temple was desolate, was defiled; they couldn't worship there. The problem comes up in that Daniel very specifically says, "Was it 1,290 days?" In Maccabees, we have three years and ten days. In Daniel, we have a little over three and a half years. It's close. But Daniel being that precise bothers me. Because in other places we see Daniel being so precise over the course of several hundred years that he predicted the exact day that Messiah would enter Jerusalem. If Daniel can be that precise in his prophecies and be off by half a year here, how do we interpret that? Some people just say that, well, it's off a little bit and the Hebrew calendar You know, you have some leap years. and Even if all three years were leap years, it's not quite enough to make up the difference. What I posit to you then is that Daniel was not talking about Hanukkah. And if you speak to Messianic rabbis across the country, you'll find some who agree with me and some who say I'm just dead wrong, that absolutely Hanukkah is mentioned in Daniel. Kind of. I'm telling you, Hanukkah, I believe is a type of what Daniel is talking about. In the same way that Joseph was not the Messiah, but Joseph was a type of Messiah. He did a lot of the same things. A lot of things he did pointed to Messiah. In the same way, Hanukkah points to the end time events. In other prophecies, we see that when Messiah comes again, actually just before Messiah comes again, the temple will be rebuilt. And then the temple will be defiled and the abomination of desolation will be put in place. That's the that's the abomination I believe that Daniel's talking about when he says one thousand two hundred and ninety days. Because that adds up to just about that three and a half years of the Great Tribulation. And then when he comes back, just as it was suddenly restored without preparation and warning in one hundred sixty six BC when the Maccabees did it, Messiah will come back and suddenly restore the temple not only restore the temple in Jerusalem, but restore it in place with the temple in heaven. That's the important thing to remember as we go through Hanukkah, is that this is a symbol. This is not... When we light our Hanukkiah, and I say... I meant to bring a Hanukkah and I didn't. I think I know about five or six other people meant to bring one and didn't. But when we light on Hanukkah, it is a symbol of what took place a little over 2,000 years ago. It is also a symbol of what will take place sometime in the future. I don't know. It could be next year, could be tomorrow, could be another 1,000 years from now. The symbol is that as we Look at Hanukkah. We are dedicating ourselves. Not necessarily to the temple, but dedicating ourselves to the service of God, just as the temple was dedicated to the service of God. It's a festival of lights, but the lights are just a symbol. Um, So as you light your candles each night and watch that light grow as you light one more candle every night, try to take that lesson into your heart. And dedicate yourself a little more to God every day. That We try to do that every day throughout the year. We've got the picture during these eight days of how easy it is to just add one little more light to our lives. One little more action that dedicates ourselves to God. So that at the end of the eight days, we're burning so bright and so hot that the world cannot ignore us. Thank you.